and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 54, Irrational Fiction. Yeah, so to, to start with, I think that is an inflammatory mm-hmm. uh, title, <laughs> yep. Irrational Fiction, because we, we've said for a while that rational fiction is not like the best branding. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're sitting down with a branding team, that's probably not what you would... Not what you would pick for it. Yeah. It's not what I would pick for it. <laughs> and there was a pretty great post by Eliezer about, um, you know, not wanting to turn the genre or the community into too much of like a, a sneer club of any kind against yeah. non-rational fiction. Maybe yeah, non-rational so... fiction is a better way to put it, but that still obviously doesn't fix all the problems. Right. And I, cause I think when you say, when you see irrational fiction, I think a lot of people think plot holes, yeah. right? A lot of people think, uh, like idiot balls and plot holes and just a whole bunch of, you know, stuff that doesn't make sense. And mm-hmm. that's, for them, that's the distinguishing feature between rational fiction and all other fiction. Like if you're just going to make like right. two, two separate camps or, or like you're trying to make a spectrum between the two. I would generally say I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, like my part of what we'll be talking about is <laughs> a conceptualization of like, Let's say that you took out everything that didn't, you, you took out the so-called idiot balls mm-hmm. and the um, so-called plot holes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That doesn't, to me, necessarily move it toward being rational fiction, right? Because you, like, I think my go-to example is a lot of the Miyazaki films, right? The, like, Spirited Away mm-hmm. or Princess Mononoke or Howl's Moving Castle and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They don't give you, I don't think anyone would consider that rational fiction. No, I I don't think most people would. I think probably some people would have their own weird definition. But there's a lot of magic, and they don't give you the rules for that magic. But it's not inconsistent. Yep, and it's not particularly vital to what the story is trying to accomplish. Yeah, like when when they give you rules, they are more narrative rules mm-hmm. that set up like things that are going to happen later. So one of the things that I think about when I think about rational fiction is I think about hard and soft magic systems and a system which is not a system can be in universe described as like perfectly ordered or like require Mm -hmm. you know being an outgrowth of math or being entirely like lockstep logical but if the viewer or the reader is not exposed to any of that then it's still a soft magic system huh <laughs> okay, so, I, so this, is, this yeah. is one of the things that I, I, I argue with people sometimes about uh-huh. between like hard magic and soft magic. You can have a magic system which is framed as being in universe a hard magic system, but if none of the rules or laws are exposed to the reader, and then you're just yes. telling them that. So this is, I mean, this is basically how Practical Guide to Evil works. The magic in a Practical Guide to Evil is largely considered to be a scientific pursuit, but it is completely opaque really to the reader uh the main character is not a magician of any kind uh like she has the magic that she gets is is like on the level of names and narrative it's not it's not the kind that you have to study or understand yeah so yeah i agree with that that you know no matter how no matter how much the characters in the, in the story treat it as a hard hard magic system what matters is what the readers for for this for the purposes of this of this you know conversation what matters is what the readers understand yeah so you can have Stuff that is outwardly, you know, science and logic and thinky or whatever, but where none of that is exposed to the reader and the the narrative as a whole is not focusing on it and it's focusing on its like emotional or narrative beats mm-hmm. or 
whatever. I some people criticize me for that, like you know, like like I'm saying you can't have emotion or whatever in rational fiction. I'm I'm not saying that. I just think that's one of the primary things that if you're not going to focus on like the object level of what's mm-hmm. going on in the plot, then usually you're focusing on the like taking it from emotional beat to emotional beat instead. Yeah, I mean, if the story if a story is anything other than a collection of details describing events sequentially, right? It's the narrative that's meant to have some kind of emotional payoff. I mean, that's that's what would make something a story as opposed to what we might just consider a recounting of factual events, like a yeah. list of, of factual events or objective claims about the past or whatever you might want to call it, right? A st- like a story has a meaningful beginning, a meaningful middle, and a meaningful, meaningful end that is usually constructed with some kind of emotional purpose, like emotional payoff or purpose in mind. Yeah. So to go back to Miyazaki films, a lot of them do set up rules, but they are more on the level of narrative rules, like Mm -hmm. uh, Spirited Away, right at the very beginning, uh, Chihiro's parents get turned into pigs. Mm -hmm. And that it it sets up the stakes and the conflict, which is that she wants to get her parents turned back into people Mm -hmm. and leave the place, right? And so when they eventually... Mild spoilers for Spirited Away, but uh, <laughs> when they eventually do get turned back to hu- into humans, that follows from the narrative rule that has been set up, rather than the like magic system rule that's right. been set up. Basic fairy tale storytelling of like this magic, you know, puts the princess to sleep, and in order to be woken up, uh, you know, true love's kiss has to be found, whatever, and like it's a very straightforward rule for the story to follow it's it's it doesn't actually it's never explained in any meaningful capacity uh like what's explored isn't really you know the magic of why this particular magic has this particular like catch or why this would be what the definition of true loves would mean for the the kiss to be to be used it's just understood as like the the goal and it's accepted and it's it's fine like it's part of the it's part of the story's conceits yeah and I think for whatever we would call it instead of irrational fiction, I think a lot of times you'll see these kind of one of either setting up a Chekhov's gun and then firing it or setting up very simple rules that get brought back later mm-hmm. as just one ofs. And you don't usually focus on cleverness with those rules mm-hmm. necessarily. Like uh, there's a different part in Spirited Away. She gets a thing that can heal a person and she ends up using it for a different purpose. Uh, but it's not, the focus is not on like thinking that through. Right. It's just an application of this single rule that we've been given earlier. And then you just fire off the rule later. Mm-hmm. And Harry Potter is also a lot like that. Uh, I've been reading the books to my son. And just mm-hmm. kind of like, he really wants spoilers. He wants to like know what happens in all the chapters before we read them. Uh, so I've been thinking about it a lot and a lot of what, like, especially the first book. <laughs> just to, just, just to check. Is this the kind of thing where, like, that old-timey kind of chapter beginnings would have been, would have been like, yes. the chapter in which Harry and friends do this and this? Or you mean he wants, actually wants yeah. to know, like, everything that happens? He wants to know the general plot piece. Okay. Yeah. And he's he's a, a sensitive boy, so sometimes that's better mm-hmm. for him to not, like, be worried that someone's going to die or something, which has happened in the past. He just mm-hmm. gets, like, super upset about it. But we, so, in the first book, there, like, Harry Potter has a in-universe hard magic system mm-hmm. like it's supposed to be learnable in school <laughs> learnable in school and like at least somewhat scientific mm-hmm. a lot of rules to it that you're just not exposed to and then like the 
the individual books set up individual rules, which are then used as Chekhov's guns. Yeah. Because a lot of the Harry Potter books are, are like mysteries. So, you know, they learn a, a levitation spell, and then that levitation spell, you know how it works, and then that's a, like a solution to a puzzle mm-hmm. later. And so most of the things that in, in each book just will get set up earlier on, and then they'll get used later to resolve things. But, like, the magic system as a whole is not, you know, does not sur- survive any sort of scrutiny. Yeah. But even beyond that, it's not exposed to the reader very much. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to find those inconsistencies, you have to hunt for them because, like, the, none of the rules are given to you. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all opaque to you. And for me, that's one of the reasons that it mostly works, right? Like, it would be one thing to be given a bunch of rules, and then you look at them and you say, well, this is not how society would be right. at all. But it's another thing to just not have any of those rules given to you, and you try to work backwards through inference what those guiding rules must be mm-hmm. but none of it's actually on the page and so that makes it survive a little bit better mm-hmm. but it's not i mean that's not obviously rational fiction right as we would understand it so it might be worth at this point describing a little bit not what what rational fiction you know what, whatever our own definitions of rational fiction might be but if you were to call something irrational fiction what would be the things that you mean even if you wouldn't do it out loud because you know you don't want to bash something that someone else might like or something like that I, well i generally try to steel man it mm-hmm. right because like plot holes a lot of plot holes are not plot holes per se mm-hmm. it's just things that are okay so there's a plot hole subreddit which is like just terrible because mm-hmm. a lot of people are just like oh this is a plot hole it's like no they just didn't say on screen mm-hmm. right like it's a plot hole if it's a logical contradiction right. or something like that but if they just like don't, if a character just doesn't mention why they did something and like you can't work out what that was, that doesn't make it a plot hole. Mm-hmm. But I, I try to, I try to do like, I try to find things like Miyazaki mm-hmm. where they, the focus is just not on thought at all, mm-hmm. right? They, the focus on, on wonder or emotion or interpersonal relationships. And it's, it's, it's about evoking a feeling from the reader rather than anything on the object level. Right. Now, now I personally think that rational fiction, a lot of why I like it is because you're doing a bunch of stuff on the object level that is serving to evoke emotion from the reader. Like that's your, that's the way that you're going about it instead of like trying to hit. Yeah. So this is, beats. this is kind of the thing for me where it's like, there is definitely a big part of me that is now fairly snobbish about this because I do feel like, if we were to say non-rational fiction, which may be a softer, you know, framing than yeah. rational fiction, if we were to say that non-rational fiction focuses on on emotional story beats, that's I think that's true. That is the the guiding principle as opposed to meticulous story planning or something like that, whatever you want to say it. But there may be an implication there that like rational fiction doesn't have like powerful emotional beats or or doesn't care about emotional storytelling or something like that. Yeah. And in addition, I think there actually is where there should be a space in which we can point to obviously like particular parts of particular methods of storytelling and say, okay, well, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean the story is bad, but it's not what we would consider rational fiction. And I think that hopefully would be something everyone can like agree and can do without avarice or, or bashing like people's stories and stuff like that. Yeah, that's why I always try to focus on the ones that I 
Like, I loved Miyazaki stuff, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not rational fiction. Yeah. And it also doesn't have, like, it doesn't have plot holes. They just don't explain a bunch of stuff, and there's no emphasis on, right. you know, people working things out or that, like, that thinkiness to yeah. it. And I don't think that's that's bad. It's just, I, I actually think it's usually more work to, to do it that way, to just have, to get your emotional stuff out of, like, people thinking about things mm-hmm. and having like like I, I love in rational fiction when you have two people who are like having a emotional disagreement that's like backed up by their like differences in values mm-hmm. um which i think rational fiction tends to do better than when i see it done in other places yep. where they're just trying to be like oh we have a, like a disagreement what is this disagreement like about on the object level a lot of times the object level stuff just gets swamped by mm-hmm. the emotional stuff. And it's just, you know, people revealing their character flaws and then that's it. It's not about the object level at all. Or even vice versa where like the object level actually is what everyone's arguing about. And you're just like, guys, don't you like, why don't you just realize that like the object level is not actually like what you're arguing about? Yeah. Yeah. So I think stories that are enjoyable and you love to read and enjoy despite not having these certain elements in them. I think that's something pretty much everyone can can agree. Much of, There's a lot of that. Is it worth calling out, being able to call out irrational fiction when it shows up, though? Um, I think that, so non-rational fiction can have some uh, failure modes that pop up a lot, and I think that's worth calling out. Because, okay. like, some, sometimes the, there's this focus on, like, the emotional beat or the narrative beats and that kind of up-and-down feeling that a lot of stories are trying to give you. Mm-hmm. And they will just, like, if you focus too much on that and you don't focus on the object level of the plot, that can create this these kind of dissonances or this, like, dissatisfaction. Too much of a focus on, like, these emotional swells can kind of rob it of its grounding and its... It's realism and, and make all that stuff fall flat. And that's that's probably my biggest my biggest problem. Like uh, people get shot with an arrow, and then they're like dying, but they're mm-hmm. only dying. They're still able to be coherent and speak and mm-hmm. give their dying speech, and then they're like totally dead. And <laughs> and none of this is complicated by like trying to get them medical care or anything. They know that they're dying, mm-hmm. and so they give their dying speech, and they never recover from it afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of things like that, I just I I read them and I'm just like this is it is so unrealistic for the purposes of getting the plot across and it can work if you're just willing to shut your brain off but that's not really a thing I look to do I also don't I actually don't think that I don't know maybe some people can do that um I think I think the idea of shutting one's brain off is actually not a conscious thing Maybe it is for some people. It, it is for me. Okay. It is for me because I watched the Fast and the Furious movies, and I just. So here's the thing, I think yeah, I think I think when you watch movies like Fast and Furious, or when I watch something like Dragon Ball Super or something like that, like I know what I'm getting in, what I'm in for. You know what you're in for. You're not bothered by these things, but that doesn't mean you don't notice them. Yeah, I think well, shutting your brain off is probably a poor way of phrasing it. It's, yeah, well, you you are going into it with a certain frame Mm -hmm. and you're trying to maintain that frame in the face of 
whatever ridiculousness mm-hmm. there is. You're trying to just like not be poopy pants about it and be like, yeah, they're making this giant chain of tow trucks that are like pulling a helicopter or whatever. And you're, you're, you're trying, you're, you're making an effort on some level to meet the movie and like in, in the frame with, with which it was intended. Mm-hmm. So the way I kind of like think of this now also is that there's a lot of forms of art uh, which cannot have plot holes, cannot have idiot balls, cannot have a lot of the elements that we would maybe, if we're trying to, you know, define what we what we really would like to not see in, in what we consider rational fiction. Like music, generally speaking, doesn't have any of these things. Art, generally speaking, doesn't have any of these things. But they can still evoke emotional, you know, responses and have, have powerful moments and, and make you feel things that accomplish the purpose, their purpose as art. It's mostly like written stories or things with dialogue or anything with any kind of like story beats where people might start to worry about like logical consistency or, or character actions making like, you know, following certain expected rules, I guess is the way to put that. Like you don't expect a medical doctor to suddenly not be a medical doctor. You don't expect a space explorer to suddenly take off their helmet in an alien environment without checking to see if it's safe, stuff like that. But, like, if you're listening to music, you don't have to worry about these things, and no one really thinks about that as, like, a bad thing, because obviously, like, there's no... There's there's, no, there's nothing for them to, to not... There's no there's no expectation for them to meet. It's just, in, in that medium, those things don't can't happen. When I think of rational fiction, I've started to think of it actually as just a different medium. It's It's a me... It's, it's still using the medium of, you know... Books, plays, movies. If I consider non-rational fiction to be not playing on the medium of uh, stimulating thought for yeah. whatever reason, right? Maybe because it's just not that kind of story, or maybe because the authors didn't really care about those particular questions that I would want to have asked, or something like that. It's easier for me not to not to be bothered by them in that sense. It's Still, it's still difficult talking to people about this though. Like, Brandon Sanderson, I've started to appreciate him as an author more. Like, I enjoy, I, I better get why people like him, and I enjoyed more of his books now than I used to. I still think he's amazing at world building, I still think he's amazing at magic systems. But there are certain things that it just seems to me like it's very clearly not what I would consider rational fiction. Yeah. And that can, that can upset people if they're, if they enjoy Brandon Sanderson and they think, you know, that any story that they enjoy should, like, I guess, meet this kind of standard. But I don't think that's the case. Like, I don't think... I don't read every story that I read looking for that particular feeling, just like I don't uh, listen to every song looking for the same kind of emotion or watch every anime that I watch for the same kinds of outcomes. Yeah. I, I think for me, Sanderson hits it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But it's usually not the thrust of the story. Mm-hmm. It's usually in the world building and the way that he is like thinking logically about first and second order effects. Yeah. And you see some of that, but that's not that's never the the thrust of the story. The thrust of the story is almost always big emotional payoffs. Yeah, big emotional payoffs, and he is very narrative conscious. Like mm-hmm. he's nar- very narrative first, and and when he does his plotting, he focuses on the plot beats and like, what is the climax going to be? And then kind of works towards that. And the climax is pretty much never a character sits down and tries to work things through. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, but the, even the even the primary action of, yeah. of the of the work is is almost never you know that part. I mean, a little bit a little bit in, in Mistborn just because it's a heist, and so you have to have some element of that. Mm-hmm. But even I I don't know. You can do a heist without. <laughs> I mean, like the oceans movies. Yeah. You you can or um oh, what now you see me was just like a terrible. <laughs> It was a terrible movie. No, let me rephrase. It was a movie I really didn't like because it was trying to do the heist thing by just following like the structure of a heist movie without doing any like actual work. I'm guessing you've seen the Rick and Morty heist episode. I I did, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing of again, like if I think of them as mediums instead of genres, it kind of helps in this respect. Right, where like I know I know what a what a heist movie is going in, and I can still appreciate a heist movie that goes the distance and and does some extra unique things or does something you know interesting with with the concept. But yeah, I can watch you know Ocean's Thirteen or or something and and enjoy it for what it is, and I don't yeah. think that should reflect poorly on anyone that does enjoy that kind of thing. But I do think it is you know as the episode is called irrational fiction. Or maybe eventually non-rational fiction, depending on what it, how clickbaity we want to be with it. I want, I want to be super clickbaity. Okay, yeah. Let's <laughs> we'll go just call it a rational fiction. <laughs> the thing that I think is kind of important is cultivating the skill of being able to notice this thing and not just kind of knee-jerking at like bad if not rational, good if rational, or even yeah. thing I like must be rational. If if we can't. One, I mean, one of the things I really value about the community is the ability to, like, hold each other accountable to a sense of, like, what our stories are and what we are striving for. So that's something that I don't want to lose. Like, that's the thing that I think is, is valuable to have. Insofar as that can be achieved without people, you know, getting upset and, and bashing each other's uh, fiction and stuff, I think we should, we should be striving for being able to do that. Yeah. And I, some people will, I don't know. I, some some of it is just an attitude thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you go into a work and just not wanting to have a good time, <laughs> like rational or otherwise, you, you if you go into a work not wanting to have a good time or just thinking, you know, events are going to happen because the author wants them to happen. And I think you will tend to see that more. This is one of the things that you can't know what the author was thinking. Mm-hmm. You can make guesses. You can like have a probability distri- distribution of, you know, possible authors and stuff, but you, you can't know what the author was thinking when they wrote a specific thing. And would it be fair to say that they weren't thinking? Um, sometimes, I mean, some, some, sometimes people make a trade off. This is one of my, one mm-hmm. of my problems with the plot holes subreddit is sometimes the addition of a line would be trivial mm-hmm. to like close a, a supposed plot hole. But the problem is if you put that line in, it's difficult to do it in an organic way, in a way that is, like, good for pacing, you know? Like... And also sometimes it it doesn't... It doesn't always... It's not always sufficient. Like, there's... It's, it, there's a, a scene in, in The Last Jedi where someone is, like... They, someone actually brings up the... Whatever they call, ended up calling it. I think it's named after the lady whose name I can't even remember. Uh, basically, someone brings up hyperspacing into the enemy's planet or enemy's ships or something like that. Right. Uh, and it's like a throwaway line and someone's like, oh no, that's a one in a million thing. And so like, 
it's not a I guess technically it's not not a plot hole now because someone brought it up and dismissed it and we can just kind of take for granted that like okay there are reasons that we're not exposed to for why this is not possible in this case yeah it's not a particularly satisfying right thing I don't like I don't think it actually holds up to scrutiny at all yeah well that's that we could have a separate discussion about how um how much you can get away with with a hand wave? Uh-huh. The hand waving. That's that's that, that's yeah. the phrase I should have used. Yeah, yeah. hand waving. Or, or the lens shade hanging. Yep. Is is to just be like, hey, <laughs> I, I acknowledge that that's a thing. But like in in some movies, they you know, it's like, why did this guy not use his cell phone? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it would have been really easy to include a shot where he like checks his cell phone, his battery's dead, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, he he like loses his coat that had his cell phone in it, mm-hmm. and you can you can do more like organic storytelling in that way to close these supposed plot holes. But I think some people will go into stories and they'll just be like, well, he must be an idiot, you know, and and the author just didn't want him to have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is a frame that people sometimes use, especially in the community, because that's, uh, I think you, if you put a focus on consistency or inconsistency, I don't think that's, I, th- I, I think consistency is a like a second order effect, right? Like if you're going to have people thinking through things and thought clearly on display, mm-hmm. then you're going to need to have a consistent story because otherwise like they can't do their thinking, you know, they can't, they can't yeah. do their dis- display of thought. And so I, I kind of think that there's a focus on, on that. That's not really well-founded. I guess uh, for me, it's also though, I don't mean, I don't, I don't also want to to I think I would I would push back against the idea though that like people who who like me, I mean I'm sure there are some people who who do but like in general I think it's worth examining the criticisms at face value in that respect like I don't know I'm we, I'm sure we've all read some really frustrating and clearly not particularly bright um critiques of stories yeah and that, those can be always very frustrating to read, especially if, like, you know, you've read the story yourself and you're like, that's, you know, how did you miss that part? And, like, that's not how it happened and stuff like that. Right. There, there are people who will come into a story with this, mm-hmm. with a, a kind of attitude toward it. CinemaSins actually has, has gone really downhill in respect to this uh, from when yeah. it started. And, I mean, they'll maintain that it doesn't matter and it's just, you know, for jokes and blah, blah, blah. But, like, clearly, that uh, like, that's just not how, how I would classify that sort of behavior. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that, you know, you should take the criticisms at face value, but I think it's at a certain point, it's just like, th- there does come to be a point where you can't necessarily show everything on screen mm-hmm. where, or where you are actually detracting from, from the plot by, by like going through in excruciating detail everything that a character thought. Some of that is just people coming to a story with a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. And I see it a lot for non-rational fiction. When people like in the community will, you know, go to the latest movie and just like ready to hate it, and I just it's like don't don't do that, <laughs> you know. Like go go to a movie and like try to enjoy it, and if something distracts you from it, that's fine. But like don't don't go in just thinking like oh, this Hollywood's full of these hack writers who don't know anything. And I mean, even if that's true, you know, <laughs> if if you go in with that mindset. I think it makes it harder to watch, not just harder to enjoy something, but it's it's like it's harder to evaluate, like honestly. Yeah, I I mean, there's I don't know, this this is this is a case where everyone's going to come in very differently. 
I at least somewhat agree with you that on like rational fiction as a, a medium, but I, I also think it is a lens to some extent. Mm-hmm. And if you apply that lens to works that like weren't designed for it. Yeah. I, I, I try to go, you know, I, I have a, you know, English major background and there's, there's in my classes, there's a big focus on lenses for stories. And sometimes you bring a lens to a story that it like clearly was not like designed for. Or mm-hmm. didn't have in mind, and sometimes it just gives you a really bad reading of the story. Yeah, if you if anyone's ever been in like a writer group and like submitted a story that, like, there's a very common experience where people in writers groups will submit a story and and observe or see someone else submit a story and observe people in the in the writers group that like just very much did not get what the point of the story was, and like their criticisms are maybe valid for, for their perspective, right? They're, it's not to say their their experience of reading that story was not you know, legitimate, but like just those, the, the feedback that they give is not match the, sto- the kind of story that's being written at all. Yeah. That's a fair point to keep in mind for sure. Right. So, so like, it's, it's like you're looking at an abstract painting mm-hmm. and you sit, you look at it and you say, this would be a way better painting if it were more realistic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's not like what's being done here. Yeah. Right. I would say that, Part of the thing that makes this so hard a line to toe, maybe, is that when I watch a thing, I usually want to be able to talk about what I watch, if it's, you know, interesting at all. Uh, want to talk about what I watch with other people. And I will naturally, as I think about the story more, usually start to think of even more things than I noticed at the time. I mean, there's some shows, movies, whatever, that just, like, bash you in the face with, the, with stuff and, like... You, you can't not notice them, uh, whether it bothers, whether whether it affects your your story watching experience or not. Like you can't not notice them, and this may differ from person to person. But in terms of like evaluating a story and and finding the kinds of stories that you like like to experience, there's a certain kind of movie reviewer, for example, that I like because I know by this point that even if I don't agree with all the movies that they like, like the kind of movies that they like, might not be the kind of movies that I like. But if they dislike a movie for these certain reasons, I trust that I'm not going to dislike the movie for those reasons too. Yeah. Um, and extracting that information from people, I think, is very valuable. Maybe not along the lines of this is a bad movie because, but what I disliked about this movie because. Or what yeah. parts of this movie I, I found wanting or something like that. Right. And extracting extracting that information from reviews of stories, I think, is valuable. I think it's almost impossible to avoid it, you know, causing people to get defensive or uh, it's very, and it's also very difficult on the, on the speaker's part to make sure that they're not doing it in an excessively antagonizing way or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely something that I think is a skill set that should be cultivated. This could also just be what, like, if I'm learning how to write a certain kind of story, if I, if I let's say I read a certain kind of story, I'm like, Ooh, this is, so some really neat elements to the story that I want to like copy or like try to adapt to my own my own writing or something like that. This happens both ways, right? Like this happens both from things that I enjoy from the story and from things that I find wanting in the story. I think that's how a lot of people who write rational fiction think. I think we've talked about this before, in terms of like yeah. re- reading a story and they're like, oh, this is what I would be really interested in seeing more of or figuring out. So I'm gonna do that myself. And in some respect, I think you need that contrast for rational fiction to exist. I don't know that it's possible to not have that impulse. I mean, you know, if Eliezer Yudkowsky said that he was able to write Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality without thinking ever a single time about, like, 
that J.K. Rowling was kind of an idiot for some things that she did. Like, I guess I'd believe him. Like, I wouldn't, like, doubt that he, say that he was lying or anything like that. But that impulse itself of, like, I can do this better, or I think I can do this better, I want to see this done better, or something like that. Yeah. Like, I think that's the impulse that drives a lot of people to make things like CinemaSins, however much it's degraded over time, make things like YourMovieSucks.org, make things like... Uh, pitch Meetings is actually a really good one that I watch now, like, in terms of, like, poking fun at these things in a way that, like, makes it clear that, you know... I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm weird in this way. So this could be more of a personal thing than anything. But like I I think there are extra utilons that are extracted from the discussion of stories, discussion of the failure modes of the failure points in stories. Yeah. Like I don't I don't personally find it this detracts from the story itself. I I'm able to enjoy like stories and then get more enjoyment out of criticizing them, even while still enjoying the story itself. I, I guess I guess for me it depends mm. because I think I think it happens more when I know enough writer's tricks mm-hmm. that I see them used and I'm just like okay that's a hand wave because you just like didn't mm-hmm. want to deal with that problem or you you like needed to justify something or and I see those and it takes me out of the movie a little bit but that's not even like sometimes having someone justify something or you know having that like clunky exposition to get around a plot problem i will see and that'll detract from me and mm-hmm. i try i try not to like i try to be in the right headspace for whatever media i'm watching and or or reading to like give it that kind of energy that it it's trying mm-hmm. to evoke in me because i think if you just, i don't know i i think i think a lot of consumption of media is about your personal mindset going in and trying to trying to appreciate it as what it is and some some works will just fail at trying to be what they are yeah you know like even if you're trying to meet them on their level and they just don't they don't deliver i think uh, and yeah a lot of why i write is because i i will read things and i'll just think you know this could be this could be more tailored to my tastes Mm -hmm. this could be sometimes just flat out better at delivering on its own premise that happens a lot sometimes people will come up with a great premise and then just like Mm -hmm. it's like they had this great premise and then they knew it was a good one and then they didn't manage to figure out what was actually compelling about it they didn't manage to like craft a story around it hollywood i'm gonna give a lot of leeway to because you have so many people and you have like so they're so beholden to the studio system and producers and yeah, there's a lot of and, cooks. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Right, and and you have to worry so much more about the market because, mm-hmm. especially for, I mean, for smaller movies, it's not as important. But like for for bigger movies, then you know, it's a, a pretty big investment, and you want to make your return, and so you do audience testing, and sometimes the audience doesn't like doesn't get what you're going for, and so you change things around. I give a lot of leeway for that stuff because I understand that it it must be very difficult. But yeah, a lot of the time, I I will I will come to things and they'll be non-rational fiction, but they've come into these failure modes of that approach. Yeah. And I think rational fiction has its own failure modes Mm -hmm. that crop up fairly regularly. Like you don't have to fail Mm -hmm. obviously, but uh, some people, when they come to that approach, they'll kind of miss the mark in ways that are ways that you would expect from within the frame that they're working in. Yeah. When you post a chapter, right. And, and, I don't know, like, how much you, you look forward to the feedback or how much you look into the comments and stuff like that. 
do you look forward to feedback that would help you make the story more rational if you find it? Um, no, because it usually means I missed something. <laughs> so you don't like I mean, that? You don't like the feeling of having missed something in that respect? Yeah, and then sometimes people have questions that are that I'd rather leave not open ended, but like things I didn't think were important to the plot, like mm-hmm. places where I made a sacrifice of having extra exposition. Especially in like fight scenes that, you know, I want to keep that up that feeling of intensity. I right. want that like, that like heartbeat raising feeling. And, and we've, we've talked before about like, it's not great to have to like go down a list of every single potential option before every single fight scene. Uh, like yeah. it's not, it's not fun to write and it's also not fun to read for most people. Yeah. Well, and so, some people love that. Some yeah. people love like, I'm, I'm writing lit RPG and some people just love the crunch. They just want like a full chapter of, descriptions of systems and to to get that feeling of you know of thought in it let's put those trade-offs aside though yeah yeah putting those trade-offs aside um sometimes sometimes it's okay sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. it kind of depends on like if there's an error certainly i want to correct it if there's an inconsistency then i'm like yeah okay Mm -hmm. that needs that's something i i need to change you know i the last chapter dump was 50 9,000 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, obviously I'm going to miss something in there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just not... I don't have an editor. <laughs> and I, I do, like, t- I do two or three editing passes, mm-hmm. usually three. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to miss stuff. I'm, there's going to be, you know, especially because, you know, for that, like, 59,000 words, there's also, like, 1.2 million behind it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much continuity, I can't you can't, I'm not say I can't, I can't yeah, yeah. keep it straight, but it's it, it's very difficult to have to like constantly be checking dates, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that everything meshes up properly. So sometimes I think people are are um, sometimes people will will give suggestions that I just disagree with, and that I don't like because I don't like you know people are like hey you know I think it'd be better if like this happened or mm-hmm. or if it was like rewritten this way, and I just disagree and I just be like okay thanks but no thanks I'm keeping it how it is that that for me is a really not a great feeling, especially if I'm like gonna actually be responding to it mm-hmm. as as that because there's it's it's a hard thing to phrase gently, <laughs> and you don't just want to be like hey like you don't want to give people that feeling like you're just gonna completely right. ignore them even though that's kind of what you're what sometimes you doing? doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This might come down to a difference of preference, uh, but I do I do feel that because I mean for me I I really look forward to people not just pointing out like if I've done something or characters are doing something irrational or something like that. Um, but like also just seeing people like discuss and argue over like the, the choices being made and like whether or not there was better things to do. Like for me, that's really enjoyable to, to see people do for my own stories even, especially because it like stimulates my thought in terms of did I, did I think it through as well? Like can, are there better ways for them to do it? Stuff like that. But there are definitely obviously times when someone will say like, Oh no, they should have done this instead. And it's like, well, sometimes I've got reasons for why they didn't, and I can't reveal them because it would be spoilery. Or other times I'd just be like, yeah, I mean, that's one way the story could go, but it's just, it's just not going to go that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different kind of focus on what kind of direction you kind of want the story to go in, I guess, in terms of whether or not it's... it's um... well, That's not the right way to put it. I think we talked at one point about, like, what happens when midway through a story you suddenly have, like, a whole new plot development or character arc will fit way better like you you find out that like something isn't isn't going to work as as you originally planned and because a lot of serial writing is long and not edited and 
you know, you can't go back and, and change major things usually. The kind of, like, pantsing is a lot more uh, risky. Necessary. <laughs> yeah, necessary, but also risky. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, uh, I don't know, I think a, a lot of what I enjoy about it, though, is, is that kind of collaborative, ongoing uh, feedback process. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of dread... Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so I don't read comments on Archive of Our Own mm-hmm. at all, uh, or Royal Road at all. I just, you know, they, they get auto-filed to a folder somewhere. Yeah, there's, there's only so many... I mean, I, I used... I remember distinctly the time when I would be like, I'm going to respond to every comment that I get, and then it just it gets to the certain point where, like, I respond to some of the comments on Reddit and almost none of them on fanfiction anymore. So, yeah, yeah it's just a... And, and, on my website, I get like you know maybe like a dozen comments like a month, so it's not it's not a lot. Yeah, I I think that for some people they approach it as I don't know. It really depends on on the the approach that people take. I I and I much rather have people try to work within the text and explain things that way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it 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 is part of there are different ways of of approaching criticism and for like things that are explicitly rational fiction. Yes. I, I aspire to that, Mm -hmm. but I also, I don't know. I I try to, I try to take lessons from non-rational fiction and that like what should be included and what shouldn't and how to do pacing properly and the trade-offs and stuff like that. And I think a lot of where people will say this isn't rational is just because I've made one of those Mm trade-offs in terms of like exposition rather than, than character actions. Hopefully you never give anyone the idiot ball. I think that's one of the few tropes that legitimately is just like, you know, people can, people can disagree with me on that, but I think, I think the idiot ball is one of those things that like legitimately never improves the story. Characters making mistakes. Sure. But you know, the, the way the idiot ball is conceptualized in my mind is, is specifically a kind of mistake that doesn't make sense with their character. Well, it's, it, it's really, really subjective. And I think a lot of people will jump to the idiot ball explanation before thinking about right. what's actually going on in the story. So that's that's the thing I was going to say where, like, if a character is making a mistake because characters have to make mistakes sometimes. And, like, you know, you're walking a tightrope when you write rational fiction of having the characters be sensible and intelligent and reasonable while still going through emotion, emotional turmoil, which should affect their thinking in some way, uh, you know, while still not having all the information, all this different, all these different things that will affect their thinking and should affect their thinking too. Yeah. Well, so the, the other problem is for the idiot ball is that the readers get to read everything yeah. and then reply to it. Yeah. And so if, if, you know, someone makes a calculated choice that does not work out for them. A lot of people will just be like, "Oh, you shouldn't have done that." You know, like obviously that's that's obvious in hindsight. But oh man, this kind of really—I'm not going to spoil much. But there was a thing in not this batch of chapters, but the last one. I remember reading comments to your story about something that June did that just drew a lot of criticism. That I was just like, "Guys, like." Well, that that I kind of get. I kind of get because I think it could have been written differently to provoke less of that reaction. Mm-hmm. But I think you know. Some of it is at least, it's hard to evaluate someone's internal decisions. It's hard to, for me, at least, to even evaluate my own internal mm-hmm. decisions. Like, I don't, I don't put that much thought into 
every single thing that I do. But I know? will, but I will say that like even though like I was thinking in my head like come on guys like obviously this was meant to this and like this is this was like the thing like the circumstances were this and that kind of thing like I still enjoy that kind of thing like, I enjoy that kind of discussion I enjoy that kind of disagreement like I get I get Udalons and Hedons from just like that kind of discussion. Some of it. I, I like, and some of it I just think is is like insulting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to be clear, yeah, without without it getting insulting, without it being like, oh, this author's so stupid or something. They don't have to explicitly say that. Yes. They can just they, they can imply that you're just. I don't know. I was talking to someone on my Discord, and he's just like, I don't. I, I don't know when this is gonna come off, but some batch of chapters, and he's just like, yeah, if this guy had like more than a 70 IQ, like he would have done something different. It's mm-hmm. like, well, there's so many other possibilities mm-hmm. that you could give, and you're just. I, I understand that frame of mind, I guess. But to just, like, I don't think that's a good kind of discussion mm-hmm. to just say, like, oh, this person is, like, mentally retarded. Mm-hmm. And that's why they made the decision that they do. I think that you should first go to in-text stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like try to find a deeper meaning in the text, right? And then if you can't find that, then then you go to that. Like, you just say, like, this was a mistake. Or you can say, like, this is why this did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if the author was trying to set this up, they failed at that, which is, you know, I, which I understand a lot better and is much better feedback for me as an author mm-hmm. instead of just like, I don't know. It's one of the things that I kind of struggle with in terms of in terms of feedback. It's one of the reasons that I kind of don't read a bunch of it. I just, <laughs> I, well, especially Royal Road is just like an archive of our own. It's like sometimes just terrible reading comprehension. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. That's... It's like, it's, it, but it's like, it's an unwillingness to go to the text for things. Yeah, that's, you I know, think that's the, so to me, that's where I get in trouble sometimes. If someone just clearly is not reading the, the source material well, or, or reading the comments well, or like, like that, that frustrates me. And I have gotten into arguments on our rational, just when I'm just like, you just, you need to reread it. Like, you know, I don't have the time to dissect, like, why you're wrong right. in sufficient detail. I have, I have so little time to argue with people on the yeah. internet anymore. It used to be all I did. <laughs> it yeah. used to be like, I would, like, I was like working computer help desk. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I wasn't doing anything. I spend my whole day arguing with people on the internet. I just don't have the, I don't have the time or the energy. And people take that as, as an insult. People are like, you know, like, if you, you need to reread it because you, you didn't understand it or something. And like, people get like mad at that. And I'm just like, okay, but like, that's, that's the discussion we're having. So I don't know how, yeah. I don't like, you know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Whenever someone tells me I didn't read something carefully, I go. I just go back and read it. But sometimes I, I sometimes I just walk away. I ghost <laughs> people a lot, like a lot. I ghost people a lot because I just like I don't have the time and energy, and I don't want to like tell them that because mm-hmm. then they'll be like, "Oh, you don't have the time for oh, I like see. Just got so a, much a discussion about do. this." It's yeah. like, well, no, I I don't. It's not like okay, you win. It's like like you don't I, win. I, I can but... probably I can probably use a little bit more of that. Yeah, I just I just walk away from conversations a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't say I'm leaving, and just I let it die. That's that to me has has been the most like stress and time and labor saving yeah. way to do it. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we'll probably find something to talk about on this topic again, but hopefully this has just been an interesting exercise in exploring contrasts of different kinds of storytelling and and expectations and perspectives of going into stories and lenses and stuff. Yeah. For me, the main development that um, I wanted to share was the idea of looking at genre as medium. Yeah. And just having, it helps with having different expectations of stories and being able to say, you know, I really enjoyed this this story, uh, but these are these things that, like, I thought were really poorly done. Or just 
you know, didn't meet my expectations or something, or didn't meet this standard of this other thing, you know. Yeah, I'm still trying to refine non-rational fiction as being a distinct mode of consumption and, like, interaction with the work. Because mm-hmm. I think the, the current sidebar for the subreddit is not very good. I mean, it, it's serviceable. Do you think but... you'll ever write non-rational fiction again? I don't know. It's it's so hard because it's like, I, I like the thinking about things. Yeah. You know, I like the strategery, plotting, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried. I tried actually recently writing like a slice of life type thing, and it still like creeps in there a little bit. So to the extent that you can, it, it wouldn't be like a hard or rational mm-hmm. fiction, but it, I, I can definitely see myself doing stuff that requires less thought on my part because mm-hmm. that's like the uh, uh, that's the saving grace. Good, yeah, with worth the candle, I'm dealing with so much like continuity and stuff that's its own problem Mm -hmm. and i think that would be there even if i weren't trying (laughs) but i i think part of it is this pressure to not miss anything to not like to not have to have it be able to survive the level of scrutiny that people have come to expect yeah so i tried writing the slice of lifey thing i got like thirty thousand words into it i was like i was sick uh Mm -hmm bronchitis and i like got sick twice and then i got bronchitis i didn't want to put down a bunch of words i'd have to edit Mm -hmm. right away and or like have to do serious editing on because you know when if i'm at like yeah 30 percent capacity and i'm still writing soothing to me Mm -hmm. um but it it's just not (laughs) it's not the best stuff and to edit it just takes so much more time so i just not writing but i was writing the slice of lifey thing and just trying to sort of do it less less rational, like less thinky thought put into it. Less thinky on my part, and then like less thinky on the page. So that if you're writing it or if you're reading it, you're not necessarily getting that thinky feeling from it. And that worked okay. I don't know if I'll ever publish any of it, but I was I was trying to like do it in a different style that was less draining on me and required less effort that I could just like crap something out mm-hmm. while I was sick. Um, and how'd it go? It went pretty well. I, I need to, I need to, I read back a little bit of it and I thought, you yeah, know, this is fine. I, I would read this, but it's not, it's not hard R rational yeah, fiction. Yeah. It's, it's got good world building, but that's not the focus. And, you know, the characters, the focus is on the characters and like character interactions and kind of comfy feelings from the scenes mm-hmm. and, and like, manipulation of the reader's emotions much more than on anything thinky about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it went okay. I don't know if I'll... I don't know what I'm going to do when North Candle is finished. Gotcha. When it some when it someday is, but I... And I, and I have been writing stuff. I'm not very faithful to my works. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like... I know it's gotten bad when I have a tab open for the other thing, because I always keep North Candle open in one tab on my browser that has like the recent chapter Google Doc or something? Yeah, all, all the recent chapters and um, like the full work so I can control F stuff mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. And I know it's gotten bad for like a, a different project when I'm just keeping a tab for that open that I keep going to. <laughs> so, but no, I, I, I think that, that there's an argument for writing through different ones. I do really like rational fiction though. Yeah. And it's kind of my home. I guess. Yeah, I, I I co-write someone who is not a rational reader or writer, and like it creeps in from my my side of stuff every so often. Yeah. And like you know, I I push for for certain things because like I 
in order to enjoy the thing that I'm writing it. It, it kind of has to meet certain standards. And like I said, like I've gotten kind of snobbish on this, so this is this is where the snobbishness comes out, right? Like to me, it is it is a certain level of standards, like, despite everything that I've already just said in this episode about you know enjoying things despite certain things and blah blah. blah. Like I do in my head see it as like a there's like a level of, even even without any of the thinky stuff. I think it does take more effort to write rational fiction, and and I worry sometimes that the community, as it grows and naturally becomes more like a book club, might not serve as much of that function, which I really appreciate as a writer of, of keeping the stories accountable to like rational standards. Right. I don't know how big a deal it is just yet, but like once in a while, I'll see the thing we talked about earlier happening, where like a story that people really enjoy it has like lots of elements of the genre, like Sanderson's great world building. Yeah. is confused for rational fiction and to me that's kind of like the bucket error that we should try to be resisting here like enjoyable stories aren't all rational and vice versa it's okay to enjoy a story and recognize ways it's not rational yeah and what i really like in some some non-rational fiction is is the level of like care and thought that goes into every single thing and you kind of see how much attention to detail there is mm-hmm. that kind of i i love that that like feeling of someone was like really paying attention and someone was thinking this through. And even if I don't necessarily get that from the plot itself, it's, it can just be really nice to see that level of like polish Mm -hmm. and care, I guess. Any examples top of your head for that one? Um, and a lot of stuff that you ever see baby driver. I did. Yeah. There's a lot of like background and detail Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't, that wasn't needed. So what you're talking about really is is attention to craft. Yeah, and and some some of it for like prose fiction is is just you notice these little chinks in the armor that mm-hmm. is displays a lack of attention to craft. Yeah, and I don't think that that's like emblematic of what I guess we'll, we'll call non-rational fiction, but I think it's it's a failure mode that happens a lot if you're just focusing on not the object level. Mm-hmm. Of what's actually happening in the movie. I always think in terms of movies, because I watch so much, so many more movies. It's interesting when you think about it. For me, the distinction of like movie versus a book is, I actually watch very few movies. I've been watching a lot of TV shows lately, but I've, I actually watch very few movies. And the thing that I appreciate about both movies and TV shows oftentimes is it's much easier for me to enjoy them. Like it has to be really egregious. For me to be taken out of a, a story by quote unquote the irrationality of it because there's just so much more to appreciate like there's like things that actors can do that my imagination of written characters like would never do it's just like there's not there's a certain like essence to certain actors and like the way that they deliver certain lines and like stuff like that that's like really unique to the medium uh like obviously the music you know in in movies and tv shows can be a huge part of what like helps make a, a, a scene or like makes that connect, emotional connection a lot of like really neat directing choices in terms of like shot yeah. composition that can really like help right add to the experience so like for me like watching movies watching tv shows watching anime there's just a whole there's a whole bunch of different dimensions of the job of the medium that i can appreciate aside from whatever's going on with the the world building or story or characters whereas when i'm reading a story it's really that's where it really matters to me where i'm like I can enjoy the Stormlight Archives for what it is, but I, I, like, I can't ignore the parts of it that to me are like not rational fiction because they, they, it's like all, that's all that's there. It's the consistency and the characters and and the plot and stuff yeah. like that. I think there's, I mean, because there is prose, but I think the way I read, I don't. Mm-hmm. If I'm paying attention to the prose, 
and to like the turns, like these nice turns of phrase and stuff, then I'm kind of can take me out of the work to just cause it should be like every time it's like, Oh man, this really beautiful sentence. Like mm-hmm. it, it can take me out of it and a lot more than uh, simplicity does. Yeah. I'm kind of a Philistine in that sense. Like I, I, like I, every so often I appreciate those lines when they show up, but I don't tend, they just don't tend to show up in the kinds of stories that I read as often. Yeah. Well, because I, I mean, there, there's a lot of craft to prose. Yeah. It's just that you don't need that. Right. Right. Especially in rational fiction. I think it, it's good to have, but if you're trying to evoke that thinkiness, mm-hmm. like beautiful prose is not, it's not necessary. And it's to some extent might just be distracting from the like object level concepts you're trying to get across. Mm-hmm. If everything is like a beautiful turn of phrase or you're like, paying super strict attention to to like how long your sentences are mm-hmm. and your vocabulary level and you know trying to find like just the right word i think if you're getting to the point where people actively notice that or you're like taking away their brain power on some of that <laughs> stuff so i don't know i it's one of the it's one of the things i think about but i i do i know a fair amount about film and so i i see a lot of the the craft there right not easier but like in some ways, the craft of prose is a little more opaque just because of how I read. Right. I mean, I, I would I would probably enjoy like a rational fiction of of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like written in that style or something like that. Like, it, yeah. Like, it's still probably like enjoy literature that was rational fiction at the same time, despite you know not really needing it to be. Because I can still appreciate that kind of thing when I when I am reading it. It's just not something that we look for or find commonly. Yeah. I think that's also one of the failure modes of rational mm-hmm. fiction is sometimes people just pay no attention to the craft of prose. And I'm just like, okay, like on this is working <laughs> in terms of, I don't know. There, there are a lot of people who read not garbage, but like <laughs> stuff that has stuff that has no focus on, on the craft of writing. Yeah. And like th- there are people who are just like, yeah, it's like machine translated from Chinese. I'm just like, how <laughs> I've, I've tried. And I'm just like, how can you ignore these glaring problems? You, I, I guess you just get used to it. And then all that matters is like what's literally happening. Mm-hmm. And you can get that while ignoring the complete lack of any like craft. But it's it's kind of bizarre to me. It's, it's something that I think about quite a bit because it's yeah. so bizarre to me to, to like that, that. That is some people's experience of of reading fiction is just devoid of, of any artistry in, in the words. It's all just like a literal, they're, they're just trying to get a literal understanding of what happens in, well, if, in if, the simulated world. If they're like me and it's literally a movie in their head when they read, it might not, maybe that's part. I don't know what, what your reading experience is. Like when I read it, it's, it's literally a movie in my head. Like it's. Oh yeah. 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 No, it's, it's the same for me, but it's kind of where I think a lot of the craft of, prose comes in as way off topic but mm-hmm. uh <laughs> where i think a lot of the craft of prose comes in is in picking the right line to evoke that that feeling or that image yeah, right i totally it's, get that it, yeah in dialogue and this is not something i'm super conscious of when i write but in in dialogue like if a person is if if, if there's any description at all of what a character is doing or how they look it will be to evoke, it'll be to like help map for you what 
is happening in the scene, mm-hmm. right? It's it's never just going to be mentioned to break up the text. It's it's not it's not going to there aren't going to be just like a reminder Fidgeting that someone's yeah because some people do that to to break up dense yep. dialogue. Some people do that to just remind you of who's what talking. a person looks like. Or, or who's talking, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't tend to do that at all. I don't tend to use, mm-hmm. I, I don't tend to use the certain words that will just like, there's a name for it to, where you use like a, an appellation to, to someone to, to describe them and you. Oh yeah, instead of using like their name, like you say, like, the, yeah, yeah, the title. Just, yeah. That, that annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> but some people will do it, to, you know, to remind the reader. Which is to break break up up the the monotony of just having their name over and over and over again. Yeah. And so I always think of that stuff as part of the craft of prose because you are sort of blocking out the scene, right? If someone turns away to look at the window, you are communicating to the reader with with that sentence. It's not just you're including that because that's what they did because they, like, were bored or something. Right. Right? It's, It's communicating as part of the scene. And anything that's not communicating part of the scenes gets left out because you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm like perfect at that or anything. I'm writing webfic at you know a <laughs> fast pace. pace. <laughs> yeah, it's not a breakneck pace. No, uh, currently it's like I think current batch is like sixteen or it's... if you say anything less than six thousand words a week, then <laughs> it is it is one thousand seven hundred words a day. I think right now. Um, that's a lot. That's that's that's, I mean, that's, that's that, still a that's, lot. That's that's National Novel Writing Month. Yeah. Speeds. So I'm not going to claim that I'm you know some master of the craft. That's a fine. I'll create. I'll I'll <laughs> claim it for you. That's that's still that's a lot. That, that's fast. It's it's very fast. But like part of the trade off of mm-hmm. that is that I'm not spending as much time on right like making every sentence perfect as far as communication and and each one having intent. Yeah. That kind of focus really only comes in for me on on like the Mewtwo chapters because they're in first person, and for some reason I just have a I have an easier time thinking in that mode for first person perspective stories than I do for third person because right. I guess it feels too much like taking taking like too inward like a look on on like what someone's experience is or something like that. I don't know. It's distracting more for me. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've... Yep, thanks for listening, guys. Let us know how much you hate our perspective on what we just said and rational and irrational fiction and disagree with us on all these. Yeah, and maybe I will finish my blog post, but maybe I won't get a lot of the same stuff <laughs> we just okay. talked about. By the time I finish editing this, it's going to be like two months from now. Yeah.